Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show 230, Finance Friday Edition, where we chat with Lisa and talk about financial independence starting a little bit later in life. I always thought I needed a, a million to retire, and um, I'm not so sure anymore. It's it's kind of scary out there, um, but I think, so you think you need more. I think I might need more, but I really, really, really want to retire next year. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me as always is my thought-provoking co-host, Scott Trench. Ugh, I don't have a good one. That gives me something to noodle on, Mindy. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you get you, you, you got it today. I'll use it. I'll be playing <laughs> yeah. the part of Scott today. And me. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world. I can't even say that without laughing. Go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business. We'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. We are talking to Lisa today. Lisa is in her 50s and she is looking at her finances and wondering if she's doing it right. And she's doing really well. But of course, everybody can always be doing better. So we talk to Lisa, we look at some of her uh, real estate holdings, we look at her investments, her balance sheet and income statement, and give her some suggestions that we would make if we were in her shoes. That's right. I thought it was a really good episode and a new perspective that we haven't had on the show before. Something we didn't really cover in the show and I want to make a note of is the rent on her rental property is lower than market. And she has a tenant who is taking good care of their of the property. And she, you know, rents have gone up. She has a an interesting thought on why she hasn't raised the rent, but something something to think about if you have a rental property is that, you know, if you're not regularly raising the rent to market value at the end of the lease, you could get to the point where you're significantly lower on the on the rent every month and you could be leaving a lot of money on the table. On the other hand, I don't think it's worth it to raise the rent on your really great tenants just to squeeze another dollar out of them. So, you know, I think that would, you know what, Scott, we should have a conversation about raising the rent in the money channel. I, I think I think there's a lot of nuance to it and I don't think there's a right answer or not. Yeah, it's, yeah, boy, that is a really great way to phrase that. There's a lot of nuance to it and there isn't just one right answer. So, okay, we have a Facebook group if you would like to discuss or join in the discussion on raising rent versus keeping it static for your tenants, you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. Scott, before we bring in Lisa, I need to say that the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice. And neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Interest rates are sky high in 2023, and buying a rental property means you could get stuck with an 8, 9, or 10% mortgage rate. But what about a 2.99% rate with rent to retirement? Rent to retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. 
You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate with an average cash flow of over $900 per month. Plus, they've got options where you can put as little as 5% down with no PMI. As the nation's leading turnkey investment company, Rent to Retirement helps investors build headache-free, high-cash-flow rental portfolios. And since their properties are fully turnkey, newly built or renovated, leased and managed, anyone can invest, even those who aren't into landlording. So what are you waiting for? This 2.99% rate deal won't last long. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. When it comes to financial guidance, you gotta trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I wanna upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Lisa is in her 50s and makes great money, but is concerned about financial independence and thinks she should be saving more. She has a decent retirement account and a rental property that provides good cash flow with great equity. But a rental property comes with a mortgage, plus her primary mortgage leaves her with two mortgages every month. Tracking spending doesn't come that easy for her, so we'll be looking for ways to automate her savings. Lisa, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Thank you, Mindy. Thanks, Scott. I am super excited to talk to you today because you're not 20. And while I love our 20-year-old listeners, they have a lot of time to get through their you know, financial journey. And you are well on your way. In many cases, you are uh, in a better position financially than they are. But you also have retirement coming up a little bit faster. So uh, let's look at where your numbers are coming in. What is your income and debts and expenses and investments? Scott, why do I always forget what this is called? Balance sheet? Balance sheet and um, income statement. Yes, balance sheet and income statement. Okay, so um, I make $126,000 a year. And I have um, two mortgages. The rental property in Boise, Idaho uh, mortgage is uh, $969. And it has an HOA that's uh, $81 a month. And it has a HELOC on it. I took out some money to uh, upgrade it when I bought it. So um, I'm paying $500 a month on that. Then my primary residence mortgage is $1,487. And the HOA here is $40 a month. Um, I have a car payment that 
I pay $700 a month on. Is the $700 your monthly payment or is that what you pay because you're paying extra? That's what I pay because I pay a little bit extra. Yeah. Um, What else? The rental, so the rental property rents right now at nineteen hundred a month, and I just increased the rent on it um, because I did a market analysis and I was well below the market. Um, so it still has room to grow. The market analysis said it should be getting about twenty three hundred a month, but I couldn't raise the rent four hundred dollars a month on my tenants, so I just raised it one hundred. <laughs> Um, so there's potential there when, when there's turnover in the rent and, um, let's see, gasoline. I, I'm last year, I spent $2,500 in gas, but so I, that's about $210 a month. Groceries is about 600 utilities, 180, 200 for restaurants. And I save $600 a month, um, for travel. And I save $600 a month for just other savings. And I have um, six months um, income in my um, emergency fund. And I have, uh, let's see... uh, I have about 683 saved up in my, between my 401k, my Roth and my uh, rollover IRAs. And then before, before we get into all of this Mm -hmm. on the asset side, um, we have a salary of 6,000 a month plus 1900 in rental income. Is that right? Yes. And how much, how much is your total expenses? All the things we just added up here. Um, about 5,600. Okay. And that salary of 6,000 that's after tax. Yes. That's what's in your bank account. Okay, so we have four hundred dollars a month left over or thereabout, mm-hmm. and then your more your rental property has a income of nineteen hundred. And what's the the mortgage and expenses on that? So it's um about fifteen hundred. Okay, so you have fifteen hundred in expenses on that. So you're clearing about four hundred dollars a month incremental from your rental property as well. Mm-hmm. All right, now let's go. Let's keep going with the the investments there. Sorry. Okay, investments. Um, I think that's it, Scott. I had thirty. In the um, six-month emergency fund, I have six eighty-three in my uh, traditional and my rollover, um, and my my four hundred one k. I have um, just a land in um, North Idaho that's worth about eighty-five thousand dollars, and yeah, I think that's it. Do you want to know what the equity is in my two properties, my two houses? Yeah, I think that would be helpful. So the Boise house equity is about 340 and the house that I'm living in equity is about 150. So how, how would you kind of, how would you wrap that all up and kind of articulate your net worth at the highest level? I think my net worth is really about $800,000. 800,000. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what are your, what are your goals? What what would be the best way we could help you today with, with all this? I always thought I needed a, a million to retire and, um, I'm not so sure anymore. It's it's kind of scary out there. Um, but I think, so you think you need more. I think I might need more, but I really, really, really want to retire next year. Um, and I always thought that I would retire a little bit early. Um, so that's kind of been a goal. And um, 
I guess I just maybe, you know, should I move some money around? Should I use the land in North Idaho equity to pay off the HELOC and increase my cash flow on my Boise property? Um, or should I just make the leap and, and let the equities kind of keep doing their thing and just, you know, start my retirement by taking money out of my, um, the, the 401ks, the IRAs. So I have a couple of questions. Okay. You have approximately $5,600 in monthly expenses, Mm -hmm. but some of that sounded like you're putting $600 away for travel. That sounds like it's part of that Mm $5,600 and $600 in other savings. That Mm -hmm. sounds like it's part of that Mm $5,600. So I'm wondering for your own knowledge, what are your true expenses without the savings, without the contributions to HO or 401ks? What is your true bottom line spending? Mm -hmm. Because at $5,600 a month, that's $67,000 a year times 25 for the 4% rule is $1.68 million, which is not where you are right now. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that 5600 is your true measurement. If we took away those 1200 for travel and other savings, we're already at 4400 mm-hmm. And so then 4400 times 12 is 5200 times 25 is, or 5280, is $1.3 million. Mm-hmm. So that's a significantly lower, but it's still, you know, more than what you've got right now. So I think that a good exercise would be to go back and see exactly what your expenses are. And you mentioned travel. $600 is a lot of monthly travel for, I mean, how long have you been doing that? What does your travel kitty look like? Well, I've been saving for big trips and um, it it's uh, a lot of it just disappeared because I'm going to France with my uh, brother and sister-in-law in November. So um, it looked it looked really nice until last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but and I use it for little trips. Um, like I meet my daughter in Las Vegas, and I'll use it for that. And you know, and it's just sort of a, we just go and have a good time and do what we want to do. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't really budget that travel too much. I just say, okay, this is where the money's going to come from. And we go. Um, so I'd like to continue to have some money for travel for retirement. Um, I think that's kind of, I think I still have to put money away for those kinds of things. Okay. What, I, what I'm seeing here, when I look at the the position overall with a lot of these things is that the if you want to get to a million dollars that would that would generate forty thousand mm-hmm. in spendable liquidity each year if you're looking mm-hmm. if you're looking about the four percent rule and you like that as rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of debate about whether that's too conservative or not, right? And mm-hmm. and, and we have an episode with Michael Kitzes where we talk about exactly how conservative that is. So you you, you it's possible you could go as high as like a five percent or something like that or or even stretch it a little bit more. And I know some financial advisors talk about seven percent withdrawals and there's a fifty fifty chance or something with that with that portfolio. Um, but without bending the rules of the four percent rule, we have two 
levers that we have to pull on this, right? One is to reduce the monthly expenses that mm -hmm. you've got going into retirement. And two is to pile up more wealth going into retirement, mm -hmm. right? And so let's start with the expenses because I think that's interesting with that. Mm -hmm. You drive what appears to be a tremendous amount. Is that related to the commute for work? Uh, not so much. I spend... Um, so I moved to... Richmond, Washington for this job. And I left my home in Boise, Idaho, which is four hours away. So yeah. I drive over there quite a bit. Um, and then I also have my property in North Idaho, which is three hours away. So I drive up there quite a bit too. Um, yeah, I don't, it doesn't seem like it's that far away. And it doesn't seem like I make that many trips over there, but somehow it really adds up. The reason I ask that is because will those miles and the, the need for that level of transportation expense in that category decline after retirement is kind of where I'm, where I'm, where I'm going with that. I, I just don't know, Scott. I, I, there's so many unknowns when I don't even know what I'm going to do in retirement. Okay. Well, well, that's a, that's a good place to start, right? So, oh. so here's the thing: is is I think I think that one way to start answering this because now we can we can wrap our heads around math with this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. right? And say what what is retirement going to cost on an annual basis with that? Mm -hmm. And I I think that we've found that most people feel start spending less money in in retirement um, than they are when they're they're working with that. And there's a lot of cost saving opportunities with that. Like you're not going to, you know, do some to cut some corners, maybe while you're working and very busy with a lot of these things, maybe there's a way to make that, that less expensive or there's less driving or there's less, uh, uh, dry cleaning or, or less on eating out or fast food on the commute or whatever it is with that. And so I think that that would be a really good kind of first step here to say, what is my annual spending going to be, um, in retirement? Uh, what is it now? Um, which you've got a great handle on and mm. which numbers are going to move as soon as I leave full-time work. And that will give you kind of more clarity into what that looks like and an ability to project there um, uh, um, for, for the expenses after that. Mindy, do you have anything to add on, on that, on that one maybe? Yes. So you said you don't know exactly what you're going to be doing in retirement. And this is the best time to not retire is when you're not sure where you're going to be spending your time and what your retirement looks like when mm -hmm. you're done. And um, first, let's talk about your job. Do you enjoy what you do? Or is it a stressful job that you can't wait to leave? Um, I think I'm just burnt out. Okay. And I'm and I uh, just like to move on to something different. Okay. Uh, and I wouldn't mind like leaving my full time job to do some part time work. Ah, that but was going to be my next question. Yeah. And it, I, there are there are a lot of things I'd like to try to do. Um, and then the other big factor for me is just that most of my family lives in Ohio. Um, my parents and two siblings and my daughter lives in Texas. So when it comes to traveling less, Scott, I think <laughs> I might be traveling more um, to spend more time with them. But it might just be that you know I take that trip to Ohio and I'm going to spend you know, a couple of months and, and I wouldn't really have living expenses cause I'd probably live, um, at one of my parents or siblings houses. Um, and certainly in Texas, I would just stay with my daughter. Um, so, uh, and in, and in that scenario, I thought that I would, um, short-term rental my primary residence 
so that I, I, I negate that expense. Okay. So, so what I'm, what I'm hearing is, so this is, this is great. So we say there's going to be some more transportation expense because they're going to be traveled to these different places. Maybe you drive there if you want to bring your car, or maybe you fly, uh, depending on how long you're going to stay. Um, and then that will wipe out your, your housing expense to a large degree, mm-hmm. um, in, in some of these, in some of these, in some of these cases with that. And so I think that going through that and at least mapping out like the first six months to a year mm-hmm. and getting alignment with your family would, would help you bring, bring a lot of comfort into like, okay, here's my, here's my model and here's what it says. And here's how much income I need to make that work, mm-hmm. um, on this, um, with that. I think that will be really helpful for you to kind of come become, get comfortable with the, the amount of spending that you're going to be doing and the amount of passive income, you're going to need to fund that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that's point. a great idea. Just kind of figure that out. I, I sort of, you know, I'm just in a, you know, in a nebulous kind of way. I've kind of sort of said to myself, yeah, that's, I'm going to go stay with my mom. I won't have, you know, the house rental to worry about. And both the, both the houses are easily rentable. Um, so yeah, I go stay with my mom part of that year and, and my daughter and, and where is your primary again? Washington. Washington I mean, State. Eastern Washington. Mm-hmm. And and what do you like? Do you do you have any idea about what that would look like from an Airbnb perspective and seasonality and all that kind of stuff? There are 250 wineries in a 50 mile radius of where I live. Um, so, oh, I want to come visit. <laughs> yeah, that sounds yeah. awesome. And and I live on the Columbia River, so that's a big draw as well. Um, yeah, I think that there's so, the, there's one short-term rental uh, in my neighborhood. And if you can trust the Airbnb statistics, uh, she's charging $185 a night and she's booked all the time, about 90% of the time. So. so that's amazing. And I would look at seasonality in your location specifically mm-hmm. to plan my trips. Oh, people really, really want to be here at Christmas time or people really don't want to be here in August. Great. Then you can be home in August and Mm -hmm. go traveling when people want to be where you're at. Um, What about your Boise house? I have that. It's on a long term rental. Um, Could you short term that? Because I know Boise is just hopping. It's a screaming hot market. Um, I think it could I think it could. And since you're not there, uh, you would have to find somebody who could do the cleaning and the turnover, which is the big, big mm-hmm. issue. Um, right. Another thing is the the longer short-term rentals, like to traveling nurses mm-hmm. and uh, corporate rentals and things like that. They're still furnished like a short-term rental, but they have, they're like in between. They're not quite as high as the nightly rates, but they're not, they're more than a long-term rental would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another way to generate some income. Yeah. I actually um, put my house on furnished finders last year um, to market to the medical traveling community. Um, and I had one tenant and it just didn't quite work out so well. So I, oh. while I was kind of trying to do the house hacking kind of thing, you know, Um but yeah, I think I, I would, there's definitely, I've had a lot of requests on that. Um, um, that website for my, for my, my extra bedroom to be rented. Um, so I think that's a great market. Is that your extra bedroom in your primary mm-hmm. residence? 
Oh, yeah. That's another thing to to throw out there is, you know, that could offset a lot of your mortgage mm-hmm. payment if you could rent that out. What is your what is your thought about renting out a room? Well, I tried it. And I, it just didn't go very well. And I've just decided in the meantime that I think I really like my privacy. So, okay. Yeah. That's valid. Um, so, uh, for now I've just stay here by myself and, um, but it's definitely, you know, medical, what I'd have to do is I'd have to rent either two bedrooms or three bedrooms, um, to two different traveling nurses or medical professionals to make it work. Even just one would offset the, the overall mortgage though. Right. The biggest kind of like strategic challenge I see for for you in, in wanting to retire in in one year Mm -hmm. is right now, most of your wealth is in your retirement accounts and your um, rental, your equity and your real estate mm-hmm. with these types of things. Mm-hmm. And you're not generating very much in the way of cash flow, mm-hmm. which is going to make early retirement difficult. And so that's where I think what we're trying to get to with this discussion here is how do we generate more cash flow in the short run here? How do we reduce expenses and generate more cash flow over the next year so that you're in position to make that break cleanly and and with with more confidence, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think the, the the primary residence becoming an Airbnb, I mean, if that's right, $185 a night times 25 nights a month, that's 4,600 a month in potential income on your mortgage of 1,500. Mm-hmm. So that, that goes a long way um, right there. If you can, if you can begin setting those systems up right over the course of the next year. And if you only do that a few months a year, that's actually still going to go a long way towards, um, pr- providing cash flow. The rest of the cash flow, I think is going to have to come more creatively. And you said you, you have multiple options on the table there. You have ability to do part-time work. Mm-hmm. We can maybe reduce some expenses, um, depending on how you, you, you do things with your, um, um, planning out your budget after before and after retirement. And then I also think we should revisit the rental property like Mindy's saying here mm-hmm. and at the very least kind of acknowledge, Hey, you know, we're losing $400 a month right now because you don't want to raise the rent on, on your tenants. Mm-hmm. And so you're giving them $400 every month that mm-hmm. is not going towards your stuff there. And right. so I think that that's, that's one way to think about it as that. And I don't want to be too callous on that because, you know, but this is a show for real estate and, and, you know, uh, that, that's that's a decision that you know over the next year or two we can we can you know think about with that as well and that, De- that definitely every, every little bit helps there if you if you can increase four hundred dollars in cash flow there mm-hmm. and reduce four hundred dollars in expenses in the car for example mm-hmm. um, per month that's a net difference of eight hundred bucks that's the equivalent of what's eight times what's eight hundred times um, eight hundred <laughs> times twelve times, times twenty five. Ninety six hundred. That's a quarter million dollars you shaved off oh. the number you need for your retirement, right? Um, uh-huh. At the four percent roll between those yeah, those two changes. So th- you know what, Scott? Can you please say that slower? Because that's not something that I've never thought about it like that. What's four hundred dollars? That's not going to change my life. Mm-hmm. But look at that. Run those numbers very slowly again, Scott. Well, if you're if you're if you're running if you're projecting retirement using the four percent rule, right? Mm-hmm. The four percent rule says that for 
if I have a million dollars, I can spend up to 4% of that and likely not run out of money uh, or ne never have run out of money in any 30-year period in history um, uh, with my portfolio. In some cases, my portfolio will decline, and, but I won't quite run out over 30 years. And in most cases, my portfolio will grow. So it's the 4% rule is what we use to plan retirement. And that means that if you can... If you want to spend forty thousand dollars, if you and you agree with the four percent rule, you need a million dollars in retirement. If you spend instead of that ten thousand dollars less, thirty thousand, then you can get away with seven hundred fifty thousand um, mm -hmm. on uh, 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 in total wealth. If you can get away with twenty thousand, you can do that. And, and we just found eight hundred. We maybe have found eight hundred dollars in cash flow for Lisa between raising the rent. Um, by four hundred dollars, and in reducing potentially the cost of car tra transportation by four hundred dollars a month, eight hundred dollars a month is ninety six hundred dollars per year. Eight hundred times mm -hmm. twelve, and then if you multiply that by twenty five, or the reverse of the four percent rule, that equates to a two hundred and forty thousand dollar difference in wealth needed to retire. And so the aggregation, if, if those are just two areas, you'd imagine or, or hope that, Lisa, when you do that budget for pre and post retirement, mm -hmm. that you may be able to find a number of other things. And they're not just mm -hmm. ticky tack. They could build up to every every $100 in monthly spending, let's do this real quick, is going to be $30,000 less in wealth that you're going to need in order to retire comfortably at that 4% rule. Mm -hmm. And so that, that tight control of the expenses and making sure that that model works can really make that feel a lot more comfortable. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I did raise the rent this year. They're great tenants and they're taking really good care of the house and the yard. Um, and she's just getting her business started. She's a naturopathic doctor. Um, so I'm trying to balance being a business person, but also understanding that there's value in having um, someone take really good care of the property. Uh, and, and, and just by raising it this year, I feel like I've kind of given them notice. I told them what the market rate was and said, you know, I'm not going to raise it that much because it would be four or $500, you know, all of a sudden in what, you know, for them. So, but they're sort of on notice that next year it's going to go up again and, um, it'll probably be more than just a hundred dollars next year. Um, so I, I feel good about that. The other way to increase that cash flow on that property would be to um, take the money out of sell the property in North Idaho, pay off the home equity line of credit, which would also give me extra money to pay down on the mortgage for that house too. Um, so, and if I could, that would give me almost fifteen hundred dollars a month. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? 
I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. netsuite.com slash bpmoney. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split, with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. Let's talk about that property in Northern Idaho. Mm -hmm. 
Is it just a lot mm-hmm. or does it have any sort of improvements on it? No, it, it has, um, it's city sewer. It has a well, um, and that's about it. And it's almost a half acre. Uh, it's in town and it's in prime recreation country. I would speak to a real estate agent. You had mentioned that it was worth 80 something. Yeah. Is that have you done research on that or are you estimating that? Uh, well, I'm kind of estimating. I paid 75 for it at the beginning of this year. And um, it's really hard to figure out what um, real just bare land is worth right now up there. There's another property not a half a mile from mine that's a half the size and it's listed for 200000 but it's not moving. And... Um, other other um, lots have the have slowed down in in how fast they were selling. They're not being snapped up like they were last year. So it's an estimate. the market in general has slowed down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it. I thought it had something to do with kids going back to school, but an empty lot has nothing to do with that. Um, just in general, the market is slower than it was in the mm-hmm. spring. I'm really curious to see what next year's spring selling season looks like. And when I say cooling down, I don't mm-hmm. mean cold. I mean, instead of only having 12 properties to choose from when normally you would have 65, you now have 20 properties to choose from. Like it's still really, mm-hmm. really hot. Um, I would suggest if, well, okay. First, we didn't talk about why you bought this lot. Did you have plans for it? Or did you just think it was a good investment? So, <laughs> One of my mistakes. Um, so, you know, last year was really tough for everybody with COVID, and I was feeling very isolated and um, lonely. And um, my daughter's in laws live in North Idaho, and her dad lives in North Idaho. And I just thought, you know, the kids are going to be coming to North Idaho for holidays and, you know, bringing when they have kids, they'll bring their kids. And so I thought I want to be kind of in the middle of those things. And so this how this land had um, uh, it had another house adjacent to it. And I bid on the house. I thought it was going to, you know, make it a rental at, at an Airbnb. And then it had this big lot right next to it. And it had a tiny little, I called it a miner's shack. It was like a 600 square foot Nobody's lived in it for a long time and it needs a ton of repairs kind of house on it. And I thought, well, this would make a really cool Airbnb. Um, but I got talked into tearing the whole thing down. And that was a mistake because I think I could be getting a, a good hundred dollars a night off of it if I had spent $80,000 to fix it up. Um, so now it is just a, a bare lot and I have kind of shifted gears in terms of living up there. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I don't, I don't regret buying it because I still think that is an exceptional market. And I think that it is going to grow in value. Um, it's just what's, you know, just for right meat right now. And moving into retirement, what is the right thing to do? Do I hang on to it or do I pay off other debt with it? If I was in your shoes, I have a lot going on. 
and I would personally sell it because my plans have changed. I mm -hmm. think that since I don't know all of the circumstances surrounding the decision to purchase it and the decision to tear down the shack and do all these other things, I think you should make a list of pros and cons. This is why I would keep mm -hmm. it because of these reasons. This is why I would give it away or sell it, not give it away, sell it. <laughs> um, and then it sounds like you have ties to that city. I would reach out to the in-laws or to the agent that sold it to you um, mm -hmm. and just ask them, you know, ask the in-laws, can you recommend an agent? If you like the agent you worked with, ask them, what are lots going for right now? Can you just run a really quick report and tell me what lots have sold for in the last year? And you can start to see, mm -hmm. you know, what things are selling for. 200, I would sell it in a heartbeat. You will have to pay. Oh, no kidding. You will have to pay capital gains taxes. Mm -hmm. um, you, it, There's a difference between short-term and long-term capital gains. So definitely talk mm -hmm. to a CPA and make sure that you're like, you don't want to sell it a day short. And then you have, now you have to pay long-term as opposed to short-term, which is yeah. less. So, you know, look into it. There's nothing... I, I can't say that there's nothing wrong with holding on to it for a year. Maybe we have a catastrophic crash and then it's not worth even what you paid for it. But mm -hmm. things to think about. It doesn't sound like you're totally on board with keeping it. Like it sounds like it would be easy for you to sell. So I would lean that way. Scott, what do you think mm -hmm. about that? I think that's really good advice. I think that uh, I had not thought through the taxing angle on the short term versus long term, which I think is a really good, really good point um, to, to consider in that. Um, strategically, um, unless you feel like you're an expert in land speculation in this area, which I do not think I'm reading is the, is the case. I, I, to me, it doesn't seem like a strong part of the portfolio with these things. You know, you think that there are better options if you're going to redeploy it into places in Ohio or Texas or where you live currently or Boise, you know, those are all areas that you seem to know a little better, um, um, maybe than, than than the land strategy in the, these areas. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, once you have the, the cash, I think it's, it's how you're going to allocate it to the highest and best use. And so I'm not, you know, from there, I'm not sure. I think, I think you should think through like, what's the best application of that. Mm -hmm. You, you still have, you know, a lot of time to be an active real estate investor, for example, uh, or with that, and you seem and you know this. And so, does paying down the mortgage really provide the right ROI for you mm -hmm. compared to maybe some other alternatives? There are some things there, and I think that you know if you're if you're wondering, hey, can I retire in a year? Well, another cash flowing rental might be, you know, or Airbnb might be might be much more impactful than um, reducing the mortgage expense by to some degree. Although, you know, I'm so glad th to hear are, you say that because that's definitely something I've been thinking about. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, if you, if, if you've got this place in Washington mm -hmm. and there's another place down the road, maybe that would have a similar type of thing, having two um, mm -hmm. in there might, might be some, some economies of scale or whatever. So those would be things I'm thinking about at the strategic level. And then Mindy, I think, that was awesome. I, I don't. I would. I completely would have forgotten the the tax component of this as well. Um, that's that's really about the T word. Yeah. And did you say the, the short term tax is less than the the long term? No, long. I may have said that, but that's not right. Um, that's and it's entirely possible that I said that. No, short term capital gains taxes are taxed at your current income level, mm -hmm. and long term capital gains taxes 
I always thought it was just 15%, but I guess it varies by your um, income tax as well. But it's it's going to be closer to 15% than whatever you're you're being taxed at right okay. now. So I like the idea then of just kind of maybe waiting till next spring. Yeah. And make sure, was this year a leap year? What is this? 21. So make sure next year's not a leap year and just, you know, wait. If you close on April 15th, then close on April 16th uh-huh. next year, just to make sure you totally 100% own it for 365. Gotcha. Um, and I don't know how leap years actually affect that. I just always go with the extra day. Um, let's see. So yeah, I like the idea of starting to look in your current location mm-hmm. for another property and see what happens. I don't love the HOAs up in that neck mm-hmm. of the woods. I have a relative who lives in Idaho and her HOA is something like $800 a month. <sighs> And they basically like water the plants mm-hmm. or something. It's It doesn't seem like they're getting a lot for their $800. And I don't like HOAs in general. I would just caution you to keep an eye out. Um, every time I talk to somebody up there, they've got some crazy yeah. HOA fee. You're it's a, it's a fact of life out here $40. if you live in town and, you know, if, unless you get out into the um, the county areas, it's you're pretty much stuck with them, but. So they haven't been horrible to me. I haven't ha- I haven't had any okay. run-ins or any issues, and and yeah, they're not that they're not horrible. Uh, they actually decreased the HOA fee in this in my primary residence last year. I know, shock, shock. They yeah, five dollars in my entire <laughs> life. I have never heard Mm-mm. of an HOA me neither. that went down. Me neither. Oh yeah. my goodness. I've, and we have ooh, we have a beautiful um, little central park in our subdivision, and it's got a nice little pavilion. They keep it watered. They have a nice playground, and and I love this neighborhood because we have little alleys behind the houses, and there's always kids, um, especially last year with COVID, kids on their scooters, laughing and screaming, and and going to the park and hanging out, and and I just love it. It just, they make me feel so happy when they're, they're out being outside instead of inside playing their video games. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. I can't believe it went down. I know. <laughs> wow. So you're the, you're the unicorn. I'll, I'll take that. Um, yeah. Okay. I know what I wanted to talk okay. to you about. In our application mm-hmm. to, uh, when you apply to be on this show, we ask you if you are on a budget and if you track your spending and you said that you track your spending off and on, but it's not something that you really enjoy doing. I think, and I am a harper of tracking your spending. I harp on this all the time because I think it's really, really mm-hmm. important. So I made a video called the Mindy Method of Tracking Your Spending, where you're literally writing uh-huh. it out by hand. And it is not the most fun, but it is the easiest way to see every single day how much you're spending. Because when you come into the house, you write down on a document and you add it up Mm -hmm. right there. Oh, I spent, you know, today I spent $13, whatever. The next day, you know, you have a big busy run and you're like, how did I spend $750 in one day? Well, I had to go for kid stuff and groceries and this and this and this. And while you're swiping your Mm -hmm. card, it's really easy to just swipe that card. So I would like to challenge you to track your spending mm-hmm. for one month. If you go to biggerpockets.com slash Mindy method, 
you will get a link to a YouTube video where I explain it. And also there is a link to a, you can print out a handwritten tracking form. So you can, you print that out, you keep it right where you walk in at the, Mm -hmm. from the house every day. And you just write down every time you spend any money. And what I discovered is that there was a pattern for me for spending money. I went to the grocery store every single day and I would pick up one thing, but I wouldn't just pick up one thing. I picked up four things or five things or 12 things. And what is, I just went to the grocery store and it was literally every single day. And my grocery bill was enormous. And I didn't need all of that stuff. I have a pantry full of stuff that I'm not using because it's not in my plan. Mm -hmm. I just thought it looked interesting. So um, I challenge you to track Mm -hmm. your spending for one month to see where it's going, see how it's, how it's working and see if there's anything. Oh, well, I guess I don't really need to do this all the time or I can combine errands on Thursdays and then I don't have to spend so much gasoline going Mm -hmm. to all these like weird little places. And um, I just think that there's a lot of value in seeing where it's going. And maybe you discover that you're doing a great job and there's nothing to to change, but then you know that that's not the level That's a great idea. I'll give that a try. Are there any other questions that you have for us or any other parts of your uh balance sheet and income statement um that you want well, to I think at? I think you know the really the biggest thing was that property in North Idaho that was kind of been bugging me about whether I I should hang on to it or leverage it in another way I would look at what could you do to that property like could you just put a tiny house on there could you get a nice looking modular home or a mobile home and throw it back on there so it's generating income for mm-hmm. you? Or is it really just time to sell? Yeah. And I have been thinking about that too. Um, so there are some super cute, you know, tiny modular homes um, that are out there. I'm just not sure any of them are really right for this particular property. The ones that I was looking at, but I'm not sure. I'll keep looking. And you said, you said it's like a half acre. It's almost a half acre. Mm-hmm. You could put several <laughs> little tiny houses. In, well, I mean, look into the zoning. Yeah, and-, and I have, I have. So yeah, I then you can have like one um, 800 square foot additional dwelling unit on it if, with a regular house. With if you had a regular size house, um, I'd have to subdivide it in order to put two. Yeah, there's there's lots of use options and sometimes you can get a variance if it doesn't if the code doesn't allow for it, but if it's a hot little market and people don't want to allow that then they just won't. Yeah, stinks. I'm in that yeah. market right now where they're like, "No, you can't have anything weird on your Yeah, house. it's a it's a tiny little town in the Silver Valley. Um it's known for um it's trails for the side-by-side, those little razors. So people are just flocking into the area with their RVs and their side-by-sides. And they go up into the mountains and, and ride those all over. Could they park their RV at your lot? No. No? Okay. Nope. I, I tried that. I tried okay. that angle for myself. I was like, I'm just <laughs> going to put my RV here and, you know. If somebody might stay in it once in a while. <laughs> They're like, no, we're not going to allow that. <laughs> I did. Okay, well, yeah. So yeah, just 
getting creative can be really eye-opening, but also can be like the cup, the county just yeah. comes and smacks you down. And it's okay nope. too, because you know, I just like I, there are single-family homes around it, and and I wouldn't want if I was in the single-family home, you know, I wouldn't want somebody to come in and start putting in RVs and having you know, a different person in there every night. So I, I respect it just, that. It just sounds like the highest and best use of this lot is to put a single family home on it. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I, you know, I'm skeptical that another strategy is going to emerge other than sell the property to a developer, let them put mm-hmm. a house on it and redeploy the cash somewhere else. Um, but I love the optimism. Maybe another solution comes in. Um, but to me, <laughs> based on a little I know, that seems like yeah. a, a likely probability. And, and the long-term capital gains, if you can make that work um, by waiting a couple more months, might make mm-hmm. sense. But otherwise, you know, yeah. I think, I think, that's I, I think clean... you're right, Scott. I, I did look at, like you said, the tiny homes and, um, uh, you know, developing it myself and um, the RV just not quite the right spot for it. Yeah. It sounds like you've exhausted all your options. Uh, yeah, no, they're, they're great. Hopefully it's a very nice gain and it allows you to put that money towards something that can produce some cash flow um, mm-hmm. for you. Um, which I think is going to be the the biggest thing. How do I, how do I re- rearrange parts of my portfolio? Am I spending Am I primary to create cash flow over mm-hmm. the next year? And what, what are some things I'm willing to do for part-time work if, if, if that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will, those will be the biggest levers I think that allow, uh, um, um, that may, that will allow, but that will make you feel more comfortable about the, the decision to retire in, in a year from now. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. So <sighs> cool. Okay. Lisa, I think this was a really, really interesting discussion today. I'm excited for your uh, options and opportunities. And I don't think we said it enough during the show, but you're doing really great. You have an $800,000 net worth. There's lots of people who don't have that and won't ever have that. So I think you're doing a really great job. And I think a couple of tweaks and really tracking your spending is going to uh, show you where to make those tweaks and you're just going to you. kill it. Lisa, was was this helpful for you? Did, did this kind of open up some new ideas or thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it's validating to know that I'm kind of on the right track and, and I, you know, I really appreciate the advice on um, the North Idaho property and how to leverage that to my advantage as I head towards retirement. Awesome. Well, glad to hear. And, and, and yeah, thanks for bringing the, your, your story to the show. I think this was really valuable for us to think through and hopefully for other people to hear from and learn from. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Lisa. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, Scott, I really enjoyed talking to Lisa. I think she's doing great. And I think we don't make it a point frequently enough to tell them how great they're doing on the show. But I think she's doing fabulous. Yeah, I think she's doing great. I think she's in in in, in pretty good shape here. Um, I think she just needs to make a couple of tweaks and maximize her last year of working and figure out what she wants to do in retirement and how she wants to to handle that. So it sounds like she's got a lot of good options. She's willing to do some part time work. She's got Airbnb options. She's got a investment decision to make with uh, if and when she decides to sell 
that property, um, uh, the land, and and how to redeploy it. So I think she's got a lot of good options, and I'm excited to see what's in her future. Yeah, I am excited to to see what's going on, and I'd like to check back in with her in about a year and see what she did with that property and see what uh, what sort of work she's doing. Um, again, I want to hear from you regarding the uh, raise rent question, like I mentioned in the beginning of the show. You can join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash BP money and chime in and tell us why you advocate for raising the rent on your tenants or why you do not advocate for raising the rent. Why would you keep it the status quo? Um, assuming that there is a difference between what you're charging and what the market rent is. Uh, okay, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 230 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen saying ciao, ciao, brown cow. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.